This episode is sponsored by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean is the hosting provider I use for devchat.tv. I also use it for my applications that manage the RSS feeds, scheduling, and sponsorships involved in delivering these shows. DigitalOcean is easy to use, has data centers all over the world, and provides terrific services including server hosting and object storage for delivering your web applications and assets quickly and easily. I use DigitalOcean because I love their interface. I get SSD storage for my servers, and their support replies quickly. So go check them out at DigitalOcean.com. Welcome to Elixir Mix. This is episode four, recorded on Tuesday, May 8th. My name is Mark Erickson, and also on our panel is Eric Berry. Hey there. And Justin Bean. Hey there, how's it going? And we have some fun topics to jump into today related to Elixir, Bitcoin, and biohacking. And joining us is Camille Lalonic. Hello, hello. Welcome, Camille. Hey, welcome, Camille. And would you please uh, introduce yourself briefly for the audience? Mm, okay, so basically I'm a software engineer from Poland, Europe. I'm doing actually full stack development. So it's Elixir and JavaScript, of course. Uh, besides that, I'm also an educated dietitian. Uh, I'm interested in topics like uh, biohacking as well. And regarding my, my development stuff, uh, as I said, I'm doing Elixir and Bitcoin and blockchain are the topics I'm doing recently. That's really cool. Uh, so I'm just curious, you know, Elixir is still a very young language. So how did you come to Elixir? Oh, so actually it started like four years ago, I believe. I was um, CTO in the Danish company and we, we, were, we were about to start a new, new project. And I was thinking about the technology we, we could use at that time. And this project uh, was going to be very huge. And I was, I was making some research, investigation regarding tools, technologies, and so on. Um, so I wanted to pick the, the right tool for the job to cover all of our uh, needs at that time and in the future. And I was thinking, I was, I was actually choosing between Clojure and Elixir. Uh, I, I focused on, on Clojure at that time because uh, it was, uh, it has kind of a big audience at that time, lots of libraries. It was based on JVM. So I was thinking it will be a good choice. And it was, it was uh, like robust language and well-grounded in the, in the community. But at the same time, I I don't remember now how, but I uh, I, met, I met Elixir uh, somehow. I heard that it's it's a really promising language based on Erlang. Uh, so I, I thought that it it may be a choice for for that job as well. And as I wanted to to try something new, I decided okay, let's let's try the Elixir. It seems that it's, it will handle all of our needs and it, it will be a right, right, right tool for, for the job we are, we are going to do. So I just decided, okay, let's go with Elixir. That's really cool. And uh, I'm just curious. So like when you, as you come to Elixir, you know, uh, depending on your background being object oriented or functional programming, what kind of experience you've had. And with Clojure, you've had some experience with functional programming there. So I was just curious as to like what kind of experience did you have when you're first 
coming to these Elixir concepts? So I had both experience in, in Java and in Ruby. Uh, at that time, I, I was actually a Ruby developer, but uh, a few years ago, I, I did some Java uh, during my studies and after that. But I always liked uh, functional programming. I did some OCaml. At that time, I also did some Scala as well. Uh, so I wanted to, I, I had some experience in, in functional programming and in object-oriented programming. What I liked more it was actually functional programming because of its principles, because of some technical details, some, some approach and development style and, and, and the way how, how we write functional code. So that's why I wanted to, to use some, definitely some functional language. That's why I, I was cho cho choosing between uh, Elixir and Clojure. But at the time, I was mostly actually, yeah, it was Ruby development. Okay. How hard, how hard was it for you to transition? So are you doing Elixir full-time now? Is that pretty much all you work in? Yeah, I'm doing Elixir for the full-time. It, and it is, since, it is four years now uh, wow. of my Elixir full-time development. Really? So that four years, isn't that roughly, how long is, how old is Elixir? Isn't that roughly the age of Elixir? No, not, not really. Elixir was, Elixir is, is older. So it, it wasn't, it isn't like I, I started Elixir from the very beginning of its existence. Uh, but yes, it's, it's, it's like I am following the big changes over that time because, you know, at, at, the, at the very beginning, the, the, the language and the frameworks are developing um, very, very fast. So, yeah, so I'm, I'm, I need to catch up with all that big, big changes, major changes. Uh, yeah, but I'm I'm not from the very beginning of Alex. So so you so you leave the Ruby Haven, which is kind of a nice, comfy little you know. But it's like imagine Ruby at that time, like four years ago. Ruby's like a great big room full of couches and 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 love love seats and like just super cushy. And then you're going into a super scary room where the temperature is really low, and you know the seats the seats are all like hardwood. And my point is, is that you went from a very comfy place with a Ruby to a very kind of uncomfy place in Elixir. How was that transition for you going from a language that, you know, in my view is, is much simpler to something where they say the transition from Ruby is typically simple, but in my experience, it's not as much. How was that transition for you? So, so basically, there are two, two important things worth, worth to mention. Uh, regarding that, the first one is that uh, the the syntax of Elixir is is really similar to Ruby. So, uh, if, if you know Ruby, actually, you can read Elixir code very well. So there, are some some syntax changes, of course, some improvements, some different ways to to do, do different things. But in general, if you know Ruby, you probably will understand Elixir very well. So this is, this is the first thing uh, to, worth to mention. The second thing is that lots of uh, Elixir developers right now uh, are uh, basically Ruby developers as well. Uh, lots of people from, from Ruby moved to Elixir. So there are a lot of people from Ruby in Elixir community. So it wasn't like leaving one community and joining the, the entirely new 
community. It was like there were a lot of there are a lot of same people in both communities. So there are a lot of Ruby developers in Elixir community right now. So it wasn't like complete switch because the syntax in the community is very similar. Yeah, that's my experience too. I'm a long-time Ruby developer, and I've been doing Elixir now for about two years. Um, and this is my first major um, experience with functional programming outside of you have to do in JavaScript and things like that. But um, when I was learning Elixir, you know, there weren't a lot of good libraries and support to fall back on. So I ended up having to roll my own libraries for things that I wanted to use. What's been your experience with that? Having you know, almost twice as much experience with it. So, so, so from what I'm hearing is, is too hard to find, for example, .NET developers in Ruby community or even Java developers, but it's like PHP developers came to Ruby community and then uh, Ruby developers came to uh, Elixir community. So this is what I'm observing. That's actually how my path was as well. Uh, although there was a Java in the middle there somewhere, a good six years of Java, but we, I don't like to talk about that. <laughs> Same with you, Mark, right? So you and I, we worked together programming Ruby back at a, another company. And yeah, we did. Uh, yeah. And now you're, you're heading up uh, some pretty awesome stuff in the Elixir world. Yeah, I'm, I'm having a blast with it. I, uh, it's like... Uh, when I came to Ruby, it was like, this is the way web development should be as compared to .NET pre-MVC even, you know? So it's like, uh, it was like, web development is fun. I get it. This is so cool. And then when I came to Elixir, it was a similar like, wow, this is really fun. Again, like I'm having a lot of fun programming. So I, I also, uh, I echo that kind of pattern and uh, path. So, Camille, how long did it take for you to go from a an object-oriented mindset to a functional mindset? Ah, uh, so actually, it it wasn't it wasn't like that. I was doing only object-oriented programming, and then I need to switch my mindset to the functional programming. It was like I was doing functional development during my studies, and then afterwards. So I was doing Ruby development, but I tried to use functional patterns there. So for example, I used modules instead of classes when I could. I tried to use some functional libraries, some using some monads and things like that. So I was, I was even trying doing functional programming in Ruby. And so I feel like, okay, I'm now switching to Elixir and I'm using almost the same patterns because still somehow... Uh, I was uh, doing functional programming at that time. So it wasn't like I was doing Ruby, so I was, I was doing only object-oriented programming. I was trying to do functional programming as well at, at that time. Cool. And that is cool. Like, that is one of those situations where it, you know, when you're uh, coding in a non-idiomatic way, it's like you're writing Ruby, but it's not like the Ruby way, that can be a little difficult in Teams. Uh, so I, I understand that and I can appreciate what that might be like. Uh, but that, that's really cool because you can use a lot of the same kind of patterns. It's true. So I, one of the reasons we brought you on is, well, one of the things that are, that's very intriguing about you is that you're working uh, in the blockchain, uh, particularly Bitcoin using Elixir. You want to tell us what got you into that? Yes, so actually I had, this, I, I had this idea to implement blockchain in Elixir 
I thought that, okay, there are lots of blockchain implementations. There are blockchain in Ruby and JavaScript and other languages as well. So I thought, okay, it may be a, a, a nice uh, opportunity to write blockchain in Elixir. So I just started, I, I created a repository. Uh, I, I wanted to, to implement everything I know re re regarding uh, blockchain in, in Elixir. But uh, during, during that time, I, I thought, mm, okay, maybe it will be good to, to start everything from scratch, to start everything uh, earlier. Uh, so not, not blockchain at the very beginning, but maybe Bitcoin, maybe firstly some offline wallet, maybe some security, so cryptography algorithms. So I decided, okay, uh, maybe maybe implementing blockchain in Elixir will be the last uh, the last step of my entire work. And let's start from the simple things. Let's let's show people how to implement uh, the, the the simplest things in Elixir, starting from offline wallets, cryptographic functions, generating some addresses, and so on. Then let's connect to the to the Bitcoin network. Uh, write some some example transactions, uh, show how 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 that works, and then finally implement the entire blockchain in Elixir. So I wanted to to start from implementing blockchain, but then I decided, okay, let's let's do it with small steps, implementing everything from the smallest part. And it looks like you documented that through blog posts. Yeah, yeah, because I I thought that. It will be uh, that the, the only having the, the project on GitHub maybe not enough to, to explain everything, to explain my way of thinking, to, to teach others how to do that. Uh, it's okay. We, we we read the code all the time as as, as developers, but having blog posts, having that documented the, the the way through how to achieve the particular things, why I implemented things like that, and uh, how how they should be implemented. So I decided, okay, let's let's write a, a series of blog posts to document all the thing, then the entire way of implementing uh, blockchain in Elixir. And how has your experience been so far in in doing that? Because Elixir typically isn't thought of as like oh, typically you know, like a Elixir goes with cryptocurrency. You know, it's not a a natural uh, thing that people are usually doing. So how what's been your experience in using Elixir to do that? Uh, so, actually, it's like saying that only Python is for machine learning and you shouldn't or you can do machine learning in another language. I believe we, we can. Uh, and yes, as you said, Elixir, it, it, it's not very common to do blockchain or Bitcoin-related things in Elixir, but... Uh, I don't. I don't have any problems with that. I mean that it's actually it's the other way around. What I what I feel it's like it's very friendly to implement blockchain in Elixir. Elixir uh, is of course based on Erlang, and Erlang has crypto module which provides lots of cryptographic functions, uh, which are really helpful uh, uh, while while creating the, this. Bitcoin-related things in Elixir. So for me, it's it's very convenient to, to write things like that. Uh, I I don't I didn't have I actually I haven't have any any problems so far. 
uh, in regarding implementation. Uh, so it's it's I believe when you when you read my blog post, you you will see that everything is very easy to implement, and it's it's very very friendly to convince other people to to do that. Can you talk about why Elixir is a good technology for implementing blockchain in? Are you using any of the features of the language, like uh, gen servers, OTP, or anything to do things asynchronously? So currently, uh, I, I'm not doing any um, OTP-related stuff because, as I said, I started from, from the very simple things like, like this cryptography and uh, this simple offline implementation. But yes, in the future, as you said, I will probably leverage OTP a lot and I will use these gen servers and, and things like that to, to work on a, on a Bitcoin network. And that will be very, uh, very helpful. And moreover, the, the functional uh, approach in Elixir will be, will be very helpful as well. Uh, so once you have the, the language that actually uh, you cannot create objects that can be mutated, uh, it will be very helpful as well. And uh, for now, I'm not doing anything that that um, couldn't be implemented in other languages. So uh, at, at, at the uh, yeah, so currently the, the entire implementation. Uh, what I what I did so far can be written in any language, so I'm not using any platform specific things. Uh, but it's for now. In the future, articles and 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 uh, yeah, in the future blog post, uh, I will leverage some OTP stuff and things like that. Yeah, one of the features I'm familiar with, uh, like with pattern matching. And I admit, um, when it comes to implementing blockchain things, I don't have any experience in that. But I would imagine that there might be some leveraging that could be done with pattern matching and uh, binary matching. Yeah, um, yeah, exactly. So this is this is exactly what I noticed as well, that binary pattern matching is very helpful for that because we operate on, on, on bits, on bytes. We are converting between bytes and bits, and we are pattern matching. We we split uh, some some entropy, for example, by by chunks. Uh, we we generate mnemonic word based on indexes, and binary pattern matching is is seriously very very helpful. When I uh, was researching some Ruby libraries. Uh, it was uh, done much more complex compared to Elixir when you can just binary pattern match uh, things and it, it makes it very simple to, uh, to, to approach it like that. That's really cool. So what's your next step that you're going to be taking on? Um, you've, you've had a, a few blog posts out now about your experience and what you've been doing with Bitcoin and Elixir. What's your next step that you're going to be taking on? So tomorrow I'm releasing yet another article about seeding Bitcoin wallet. And in, in probably two or three weeks, I'm releasing the, the article about uh, deriving, the deriving a child keys, uh, both private and public from, from parent keys. And in that uh, blog post, I, will, I believe I will complete the uh, offline wallet implementation. Then the next step will be to implement uh, transactions, probably, 
maybe uh, blocks as well, uh, cal- calculating some 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 kind of stake of uh, proof of stake algorithms. Mm, uh, maybe I will connect to to uh, Bitcoin network as well. So and I I want to have then the complete blockchain implementation elixir at some point. That's really cool. Is there anyone else you're working with or coordinating with? Um, like if someone was interested in following along or even contributing, uh, is there anything that you would be able to recommend for people? Oh, so I, I really recommend uh, Mastering Bitcoin book because it's it's very good source of knowledge regarding Bitcoin. Uh, there are lots of implementation, maybe maybe not implementation details, but how algorithms work, uh, how how this entire cryptography works. Uh, I'm reading lots of Bitcoin documentation. Uh, I'm also reading some some other libraries in other languages, especially JavaScript, uh, Bitcoin JS, for example, and some Ruby Bitcoin implementation. Uh, and yeah, this is this is what I I can recommend. So read read other uh, Bitcoin or, or blockchain implementation in other languages. I read some documentation because the documentation is quite good. And this Bitcoin uh, mastering Bitcoin book is is really good as well. So you talked a little bit about um, bitstring parsing. Yeah. Uh, for those of us who are fairly new to it, can you can you explain what that is? Oh, how to how to explain that in the simplest way? So uh, basically, once you have once you have a binary and uh, once you once we have a string, you can pattern match it. Like you can extract some some kind some some parts from from that string. So, for example, you know that, that the first part, for example, version number on, or some prefix you need to extract uh, has, for example, is, is, for, is like five bits or eight bytes length, for example. So you can pattern match it like you can extract this, these bits or bytes from that string in very simple way. So you don't have, you don't need to, uh, provide any uh, regex for that, but you can just pattern match. You can cast uh, that that string, that binary, uh, and extract in the very simple way uh, the part you you need to extract. Binary file, or, or sorry, bit string matching is super helpful for uh, reading and parsing files too. So I've done a bit of that with PCM data, so you can. If you know the file spec, you can match parts of the bit string into um, binary matches in Elixir or Erlang, and you can cast things. You can read data back out from from files. So, super interesting to like read, um, you know, file headers and parse data and stuff in that way too. Yeah. Yes. So you don't you don't only uh, pattern match uh, just strings, but you can pattern match the entire files. Like you said, you can, for example pattern match PNGs or MP3s, and you can take some metadata from, from that. Uh, for example, some length of the audio or uh, author or uh, title uh, or some specifics of, of the PNG or uh, other kind of images. 
Right. Yeah. It's so a, cool. good, a good library for PNG parsing that's doing basically what you're describing. I don't remember the name of that to look it up, but. Well, that's really cool. And, you know, Camille, I appreciate that you are documenting this and kind of sharing it with people as you kind of go on this journey and uh, showing, I think it's great that you're showing like, Hey, here's Elixir is a great language. It has a lot of powerful features and that can be coupled with something that's super trendy and really cool, like cryptocurrency and Bitcoin. And that's, that's a compatible technology. So I think it's really cool that you're doing all that and that you're uh, sharing all that with us. Yeah, so it, it's basically what I'm doing on my blog. So my blog actually was created to share my knowledge with others because I don't, I don't all want, uh, I don't like to learn things just, just for my own. When I'm learning something, I'm, I'm doing lots of notes. I'm doing uh, lots of investigation, a, a big research, and I don't want to keep it for myself only. So I always wanted to, to share my knowledge with, with others. So that's why I, I started my blog at the very beginning. So as you can see, there are articles related to what, I, what I'm learning at, at some time. And yeah, this is what I'm doing. So once I decided to, okay, let's go with blockchain in Elixir. So I immediately thought that it will be good to share that with others the, the entire way. So this is what my en entire blog is about. Right, and we will make sure to include uh, some links to your blog in the show notes. And in addition to uh, Bitcoin, you have some other interests and you said you were certified, uh, was it uh, food science or what was that? Dietary? Yeah, yeah I, I think the diet, diet, dietitian studies in Copenhagen. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm an uh, educated nutri nutritionist actually. So it's like my hobby. So I'm doing both programming and nutrition. Uh, and the, the things related to that are, are in my area of interest. That's really cool. So like you've mentioned biohacking as one of those interests and biohacking is, you know, that, that can mean a lot of different things. It's a pretty broad term in a broad space. So when you think of uh, biohacking, what kind of things are you talking about? Yeah, so when, when I'm talking about biohacking, I mostly mean improving your lifestyle uh, brain boosting, brain doping, in increasing productivity, everything. Uh, of course, I'm, I'm talking about everything uh, related to programming because we as a developers, we are using our brains on a daily basis all the time. We, are, we, are, we want to be most effective, productive. Uh, we want to deliver uh, lots of things. We need to stay focused, be creative. Uh, so we need to take care of our brains a lot. And research, uh, research shows that uh, the, uh, there are specific parts in our brain that, they, that are activated during our development work. So it's very important to, to take care about our brain, to have enough sleep, to eat a specific foods, uh, to, to use other things to, to improve our, our work be effective, productive, and efficient in our work. That's awesome. Yeah, I agree. I, uh, I also have like an interest in kind of biohacking. Um, you know, there's the, the, the food, the physical, there's mental, a lot of aspects to it. So that's really cool. Um, so like for, the, one, for, 
Sorry, for people who don't, so <laughs> we work together, and I saw you bring in the exact same looking salad every single day for lunch forever. <laughs> like, I've never seen you eat anything other than this salad that you bring in. So, he is a salad biohacker extraordinaire. <laughs> uh, yes, I, I do uh, enjoy my salads. Um, I, do, I do vary what's in the salad, but yes, it's a I, I, I continue that to this day. Uh, we're not working together right now, but uh, unfortunately, we'll have to do that sometime in the future. That'd be awesome. But um, but yeah, I still have my salads and people kind of look at me and ask me questions. Uh, but one of the interesting things um, that I've been currently interested in and, and researching is uh, a concept called intermittent fasting. And that's, I'm not sure if you're familiar with that. Yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and what kind of, uh, I don't know, do you have any thoughts that you'd like to share on like that being good or bad, or what, what do you have from a nutritionist perspective? Yeah, so I believe that intermittent fasting in, is one of the best way, uh, way it's, it's one of the best kind of, I don't know how, how to say, maybe diet or, or, or uh, just, just, just a style of eating. Uh, basically, there are different kind of uh, intermittent fasting. There are just there's a regular intermittent fasting, which is basically eating when you have eating window. So, for example, you start eating at uh, 10 a.m. For example, and then you need to uh, eat your entire uh, calories intake within next, for example, six hours. And then after that, you stop eating until the next day. So you have like eating window in, within which you, you need to eat the, the, your, your entire calories intake. And then you have like fasting window when you cannot eat anything. You can just drink water or, or teas or coffee. And that, that, that's basically it. So this is the, the one approach to intermittent fasting. The other approach to intermittent fasting is called eat, stop, eat or alternate day fasting. So it's like, for example, you, you, you decide that, okay, it's Wednesday, so make it a fasting day and don't eat anything. So on Wednesday, I won't eat anything. So I can eat on Monday, Tuesday. Wednesday is my fasting day. So uh, in, on, on Tuesday, I'm the, the, my last meal, I'm eating my last meal and then I'm fasting. Uh, and uh, on fir- first day, uh, I'm starting with breakfast, and that's why I'm, I'm breaking this fasting. So this is another approach. Uh, there's a, yet another approach uh, called just just it's just starvation. It's basically longer fasting, like you fast for for a couple of days, uh, even up to one month on or or, or something like that. So there are different kinds of fasting, and fasting is, is known to, uh, to help your body to, to, to heal, to uh, regenerate, to fix some internal organs. So uh, it's, it's very well documented, research. There are a lot of research groups, and it's, it's well known as, as the uh, very, very good approach to, to eating habits. And it's... Yeah, I, I can really recommend that. That's cool. And just to let people know, like when if you're thinking about starting to get do something with biohacking, uh, it it could be simple things, right? Don't think, oh, I have to you know change everything all at once. 
right? You can start really small. Um, like one thing that um, I do currently is I have a standing desk. It's the kind that can go up or down. And, but I've found for myself just uh, like I would typically, if I'm working all day after lunch, I would get that, you know, after food slump where I'd literally start nodding off. My head would start dropping and I, I could not focus. And just by adding a standing desk where I'm, I'm up, I'm listening to music, I'm kind of bopping around and shifting my weight. I'm not standing perfectly still. Just doing that is super helpful in staying mentally engaged. So I really do agree with what you're saying just on how we can make these little changes, little tweaks, and they can improve our, our mental focus and uh, our, our brain capability. Yeah, that, that's right. And uh, I'm currently by the standing desk. <laughs> uh, and it's it said that sitting is the new smoking, right? Because we sit all the time everywhere. We sit during our work in the public transport, in the meetings, conferences. We are sitting everywhere all the time. And imagine that in a, in a few years, uh, we will get some, some injuries just, just by sitting. It's, uh, we, need to, uh, we need to be aware of that. Uh, sitting all the time, uh, entire day, sitting everywhere uh, will lead us to, to some injuries, to, to some health problems uh, just because of sitting. Yeah, and I agree. Um, I've, yeah, we, I think we've, a lot of us have heard that already. Another question I had was, sorry? Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Another question I had was, um, just as you've been experimenting with uh, different biohacking things, what things have you found success with? I believe that the most important thing that we need to care about, as a developers especially, is having enough sleep. Uh, it's because we, we like to work during nights. We want to, to, to go, go to sleep very late and uh, sleep uh, not enough hours, and it's it, it's a quite big problem, I believe. It, it, it's the most basic thing we need to think about uh, because sleeping is, is very important to actually everything. It's the basic, because without sleep, we can take care of our diet, exercising, and so on, but having uh, not enough sleep uh, won't get us, won't won't get us the, the, the same results as we could have with enough sleep. Uh, it's important to sleep at least seven hours, no longer than nine hours. And it's important to, 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 to go to sleep early, like 10 p.m. and wake up early as well. So it's not uh, enough, okay, I sleep seven hours, but I go to, to bed at 1 or 2 a.m., no, it's, it's, it's most important to, to go to bed early, like 10, 10 p.m. I know it, it's hard for, for lots of people, especially those who have children and, 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 and families, and uh, they have lots of um, tasks to do in, in the night or very late, but it's, it, it will be good to take care uh, about that uh, to, to go to sleep early, sleep this at least seven hours and you will see that everything will change and your life will improve just, just, just for sleeping enough. One of the things 
I think is interesting is the idea of biohacking seems to, I don't know, I, I hear about it a bit and in the software development community. And I'm just wondering, what are your thoughts on like why there might be that synergy or crossover? Why are people talking about it who are developers? Yeah, because as I said, we are working using our brains and uh, it's, it's not like that we need to be, be strong to work. We need to have strong minds to, to work effectively. So our work depends on, on what, what we think, how we think, uh, how we are focused, creative, uh, how fast can we do and deliver things. So that's why it's, it's very common among the uh, software the, the development community. Uh, and that, that's why brain boosting and brain doping, it's, it's so common uh, in, in our communities. Yeah, I, I agree. And I, I think there's probably also some aspect to just the whole software engineer mentality of I'm going to break things down and try and understand this step and what impact does that have on this step? You know, it's just, it's kind of like we're debugging, right? Constantly. And I love the idea of just kind of turning that debugger on our own mind, our own behaviors and, and then saying, Hey, well, if I tweak this, what can I observe? What, what improves? Like if I make an effort to sleep more or to eat a little healthier, you know, I think those are fun things to, we can kind of use ourselves as experiments. Yeah, exactly. Our body is like a computer program, right? Right. So it's like we can debug ourselves. Yeah. So it's exactly like like you are saying. And we can change one thing and see what happens. And it's not a big effort to to change things because this this biohacking stuff it doesn't have to last for for long time. So it's enough to to try. For example, sleep enough for two nights and you will see the results immediately. It's enough to do fasting days once a week and you will see results immediately. So it's not like you need to wait a lot for, for results. You will, you, will need, you, will, you will get the immediate feedback and that's why we can try that easily and see what, what will be the results. Right. One of the things uh, I've noticed is like in, in this... I've heard this from other people too. So I think other people have noticed this, but you can go to sleep at night with a thought. That's, this is the thought I'm kind of focusing on and thinking about when I go to sleep. And when I wake up, I have that same thought. You know, I wake up with the same thought. And so then think, well, if that's happening, maybe I can be a little bit more deliberate about the thought that I'm going to sleep with. And, you know, you can imagine just going to bed thinking, oh, I am exhausted. I am so tired. I just want to sleep. And have you ever woken up in the morning and felt like I'm exhausted and I just woke up? Uh, so, you know, one of those little hacks that uh, I, I do, and I just did this one last night, was going to bed thinking, I'm excited to wake up refreshed and full of energy and tomorrow's going to be great. I'm excited to get started. And actually feeling that emotion, you wake, you go to sleep and you can wake up with that kind of feeling and emotion and that's like, uh, I think it's a simple little thing that we can just kind of start to change some of those behaviors. Yeah, that's right. It's, it's amazing how we change stuff just by thinking about them. It's, it's amazing how by just our thinking, we can change things and what we are capable of by just our thoughts. I agree. Uh, there's one more example I thought of that was uh, like, that is an example of that. Um, that really, when we think about 
our emotions are actually chemicals. And this is a scenario where uh, you can imagine if I'm, I'm visualizing in my mind that I'm walking alone at night and I'm physically confronted by someone, right? And in my mind, I can actually start to, you know, feel out some of these details and, and see this little story in my mind. And when I'm doing this, my respiration increases, I tense up, my body releases adrenaline. I've created a fight or flight response in my head that is based on something that's not even real, that's not even in front of me. And that's an example of my subconscious mind is responsible for releasing the adrenaline that changes my mood, changes my hormones, changes my physiology. And the idea is that my subconscious mind can't tell that it's not real. It doesn't know. My conscious mind knows, but my subconscious doesn't. And this is just an example of applying a negative thought pattern and we experience a negative stress-inducing outcome. And then what I love is taking the flip of that and just saying, well, it's interesting to me if, if I apply positive thoughts and visualizations, I can experience positive mental states, mood changes, chemical changes in my body and have positive outcomes. So I totally agree that um, we are able to affect our, our body, our chemicals, the hormones in our body uh, just by our thoughts. And that's part of that whole biohacking. Yeah, it's, it's the same thing as we can, can tell about programming. It's bite code under the hood and here <laughs> chemicals under the hood and hormones. Yes. So we, we got a pretty hard stop here coming up. So we probably need to uh, move on to picks if that's okay. Yeah, go ahead. All right. Well, thank you for joining us today. And this has been a really fun discussion. And what for picks, um, I can go first. Um, I would just say there's an audio book that I'm listening to right now on Audible called Solve for Happy, Engineer Your Path to Joy. It's by uh, a gentleman named Mo Godat. He is the chief business officer at Google X, and that is Google out, uh, outside of the U.S., uh, in India and Asia and some of those other areas. And he's in charge of that, and he has some very insightful ways of uh, kind of biohacking things uh, with an engineering perspective and a geek perspective. So, uh, Eric, would you like to go next? Uh, yeah. So I have one pick, and we're talking about biohacking. And for me, uh, I, it's something that soothes me, and it's very specifically uh, to a store that you typically find in a mall, which is Brookstone. And they have super cheap, super awesome fidget spinner. So super smooth. They're like this one here that I'm showing that nobody listening can see. But it's black and it's got holes and little like silver balls on it. But it is awesome. It was like $2 at Brookstone. So there you go. That's my pick. Cool. Justin, do you want to share something? Sure. Uh, I guess this is biohacking in a sense. Um, I just got a new keyboard called the Keyboard I.O., uh, the website is keyboard.io, and it's a their whole thing is it's an, an heirloom grade keyboard. It's made out of a solid block of maple. It's got mechanical key switches and things, and so you can like split the halves apart and tent them and tripod the keyboard in different ways so that it's most comfortable to you. So it's a ortholinear uh, layout for the most part, um, ergonomic. That's my pick this week. Great, and Camille, did you have something? 
Yeah, so we as a developers uh, need to care about hard skills, but also about skills. So what I'm reading right now is Nonviolent Communication by Dr. Marshall Rosenberg. And if, if you haven't read that yet, I can really recommend that to all developers and not only developers, of course, because it's, it's a great book about communication and how to communicate with other people. And that's what we need to, uh, to do as well. Uh, so soft skills are uh, also important in, in our life and in our jobs. Great. Well, thank you, Camille, for coming on. And thank you, everyone, for participating. And we look forward to seeing you guys on the next Elixir Mix. Thank you. Thank you. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.